Metalheads, and welcome back to another episode of Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. We are finally getting to the episode we've talked about a few times. No, not the true Norwegian death metal episode. That's still to come. We're finally getting to 1986, the year of metal. 1986 was an amazing year, and not just because a certain debating metal host was born that year, but because it was truly the year of metal. So many huge albums by some of the biggest metal bands in history were released in 86. Bands like ACDC, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Guns N' Roses, and Van Halen all released albums in 86, and we're going to talk about a few of them, as well as talk about the year as a whole. And then when we get to the end, we'll give you our big four metal albums of 1986, which coincidentally may not be the same ones we talk about. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. 1986. What a fucking year that was. Yeah, going through the list, it's like, it's very shocking. You know, even though I know, but it is. <laughs> so the so the funny thing is, and I, I did this on purpose. So when when uh, we talked about the the bands, or when you talked about the bands that released albums that year, ACDC, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Guns N' Roses, and Van Halen, I purposely put a couple of those names in there because they're big names, but the albums weren't that big. Uh, ACDC, it was the, the, the Who Made Who soundtrack, or not the, Who Made, the, the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack with the song Who Made Who. That was it. That and DT and I think one other song, they were two instrumentals. So it wasn't that big of an album, but it had, the Who Made Who itself was a big song. Black Sabbath, was it Seventh Star that got released that Seven year? Seventh Star, yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, that's okay. not a D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, and then and then Guns N' Roses, nobody knew who Guns N' Roses was. They released an album that nobody knew anything about. It was live like a suicide. And it was, you know, four quote-unquote live tracks, and that was it. And so, you know, I, I purposely put them because they're big names now or a few years later. And Black, obviously Black Sabbath was a huge name at the time, but releasing an album with Tony Martin and a bunch of other folks in the band. Oh no, that wasn't Tony Martin. That was the Glenn nope. Hughes album. Shit, that wasn't even Tony Martin. Look at that. <laughs> yep. That was that you know, it's not a bad album, but it's not a Black Sabbath album. But we right, we've talked exactly. about that in a different episode. So. <laughs> right. So yes, so and you know, this was the year of your birth, 1986. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is correct. I was all of 17 years old at the time. <laughs> I was all of zero. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that happened in 1986 before we get to the albums that we're going to talk about. Um, so I have a couple of notable things. Um, and we always start to, you know, we always, we, we do, we've been doing this since episode, what, three, where we talk about dead people. <laughs> All right, and, and I don't mean I don't mean to to sound uh, flippant about it whatsoever. This, the third or fourth, I can't remember what episode it was. We did a show I think it was about episode three. The episode, <laughs> we did a show about musicians' deaths. It was you know what a way to to keep the good momentum going for a brand new show. <laughs> um, but for this episode. You know, we're talking about notable things that happened in 1986. And uh, unfortunately, you know, death is part of life. And so in 1986, 
two major deaths happened. Um, Phil Lynott from uh, Thin Lizzy passed away that year, as well as Cliff Burton from Metallica. So those were two huge, huge losses in the world of hard rock and heavy metal. Um, but we did have some positive stuff, obviously, that happened that year. We had some new bands that 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 were were born. Um, Cacophony came out that uh, was 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 formed that year. There was no necessary. There wasn't any albums necessarily released by these bands, but they were formed that year. Cacophony, Dark Throne, um, and I'm only mentioning this band, Immolation, because they're from my hometown, Yonkers, New York. Um, Manitoba's Wild Kingdom, uh, which is former members of the Dictators. We've kind of talked about them before. Um, Macaulay Schenker band, um, or is the Macaulay Schenker group formed that year? MSG, another form or version of MSG. MOD, the side project from Billy Milano after he, after SOD really didn't do anything, he created uh, MOD, Methods, Method of Destruction. Pestilence, uh, Skid Row came out, uh, was born that year, and Sugar Ray. And Sugar Ray would not have any popularity till much later on sugar ray came out in 1986 according to that the information i have wild like that what <laughs> now think about it iron maiden was born in 1977 and no one knew about him for another four years yeah it's just yeah sugar ray i remember being popular god uh late 90s so it took him a while huh god it, even then it was like eh, I'm looking now. It's like they, they took them three albums to really become much of anything. Right. And that was 1999. So that that's, I mean, that shows some dedication there. So true. I mean, it could have just been the fact that they, they started jamming in their garage and didn't really have a real band for four or five years. You know, you never know. It looks like they, they formed like played in reggae bands and stuff like that. Oh, I mean, that makes sense, right? They're kind of, their music kind of like that kind of stuff, right? Right. Let's yeah, just exactly. do the whole episode on Sugar Ray now. So no, uh, the band's not. debut album. No. <laughs> All right. And some, some other big events that happened in 1986 to finish off the notable events. Jeff Dunn, or otherwise known as Mantis from Venom, quit the band he left venom and to to pursue a, a solo career i believe it was and um jason newstead joined metallica just a few weeks after cliff burton's death because metallica pressed on and they really never stopped you know right after that tour they went back into the studio they jammed and they recorded the 598 ep did some more dates and then came off the road and started working on injustice for all. So it's been, it was a pretty wild time for, for Metallica. So but we're going to talk probably a little bit about them later. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anything else did you want to mention? No, I was going to say, um, Mantis, I believe di didn't, that didn't last long. He was back in the band within just about a year or so. Um, but uh, I mean, aside from that, yeah, I mean, like, I think it more speaks for itself, like what the albums we're going to talk about, and then we're going to mention a few more at the end. So um, probably best way to go about it. Yeah. All right. So uh, just going to mention a few now. We can probably mention a few later, but uh, some some lesser known maybe albums that, that came out at this time. 
Um, Racer X came out with Street Lethal. Um, and, you know, I, I'm I'm big fan of some of the, the, the stuff, like you mentioned Cacophony earlier. Um, some of these guys that never really put out, like, major albums, but, you know, uh, are masters of their, their instrument. So it's always cool to see, like, you know, among the the masses, among the big albums that come came out in this time, sometimes you go, "Oh yeah, wow, that did come out at that," uh, you know, around that time as well. Um, one one we've made constant jokes about, uh, and it, you know, I think it's warranted, but also there is some good music in between. All the the hilarity is Clovenhoof. <laughs> Clovenhoof released fighting released fighting back which I believe that one was a live album. Um, so that, that's a band that um, I don't think they released two albums that had the same lineup. It was like a different singer every time, different, you know, but um, if you're into kind of lesser known stuff and kind of like these um, oddities in the, in the music scene, that one's a cool one. Um, Manila Road. Uh, that's another band we really don't talk about much, but some very heavy stuff at the time. Um, and Steeler released a new album at that at the, that year, um, King Cobra. So if you were a fan of King Cobra, I think they were a band that was maybe a little bit underrated. And they released their second album, Thrill of a, a Lifetime, um, Kick Axe. That's a band that I've been a big fan of since I was a little kid. Um, and the reason for that was they had some songs that they had to release under a different name, but for the Transformers movie soundtrack, which coincidentally came out in 1986. Uh, Transformers the movie, if, if we remember some of the... We did an episode where we talked about um, uh, movie soundtracks, metal movie soundtracks. Well, Transformers the movie is my favorite because that is one of the things that really got me into metal. Since being just a, a little kid, listening to heavy metal songs and watching robots beat each other up, that was one of the things that I was just blown away as as a kid and thought it was just awesome. Um, other ones would be um, Raven. Now, The Pack is Back, I would say, is one of their worst albums. Um, it is where they really diverged from you know kind of their their speed metal sound and tried to be a bit more commercial dude i i, I listened to that album the other day like a week or so ago because oh, yeah? I, I i listened to a lot of albums that from 1986 in research for this episode i said you know i threw it on in the background and stuff like that and let me tell you that album is horrible it's really bad i mean it, i couldn't get through it because I, some I got interrupted anyway, but I'm like, thank God someone interrupted me and I pressed pause on this thing because the, you know, the the first bunch of songs it, it was so, it was so you know being having known Raven from back in the day, mm -hmm. to to hear them make such a, an attempt at being, almost I don't want to use the word poppy, but kind of poppy. No, you know, it definitely was poppy. That that album was a mistake. <laughs> you know, and then and then you know, trying to come up with these anthems that that they weren't. It wasn't hard rock. It was just rock, obviously. But yeah, it was bad. I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> um, a couple more. Bon Jovi released "Slippery When Wet." We recently talked about that one actually. So 
I'm not going to go into much detail there, but that is one of his biggest albums, period. Um, so if you're familiar with Virgin Steel at all, uh, you'll know Jack Starr. He left the band after some creative differences and formed Burning Star or Jack Starr's Burning Star, as it's on some of the album covers. Um, so oh, it's I, still that way. What's it's, that? It's, it's still that way? Yes. Gotcha. Well, I guess technically the band's name is Burning Star, but um, yeah, all the albums, it looks like, say, Jack Star's Burning Star. Now, that being said, like I think he was the real driving force of the band, in my opinion. And, and I know they're still around and still doing their thing, but that's, um, I don't know. It, for me, it's its not, it, it doesn't do anything for me. I think uh, the lead singer's uh, voice has become pretty bad. But um, as far as Burning Star, if you're a guitar aficionado, check them out because, um, you know, really cool stuff. It's not for the, the you know, the casual listener. You're not going to, find amazing hooks on there but if you're a guitar guy uh definitely check out burning star and uh one that i wanted to mention which i think really goes uh, unnoticed is Rhodes. uh that was nick menz's band in 1986 um which is kind of interesting so like i i would say most people probably have not heard of it <laughs> so check out Rhodes. Um, one real, yeah. So one real quick thing, there was one band, um, that came out with an album this year. Um, it was called Warlock or they are called Warlock and everyone kind of knows who Warlock is. That's Doro Pesch. She's a German female, uh, singer. And that was her band. And in 87, she had a bigger hit with the song, All We Are that came off of their Triumph from Steel album. Now, the reason why I'm bringing them up is because since we are talking about, um, albums that came out that year and their name came up i discovered just recently that the reason why warlock after that triumph from steel album came out in 1987 never released another album was that she had a manager that basically stole all her rights from her so if she ever wanted to release music again as warlock she would have to basically pay this guy and so she literally shut it down and if i'm not mistaken the doro pesh band is warlock but they cannot perform as war or they couldn't perform as warlock and she didn't get this uh lawsuit basically settled until like the mid 2010s oh wow it was over 20 years or something like that that she she was not able to use Warlock. She has it back now because the guy died, and so she was able to negotiate or you know somehow just get get. <laughs> she was the, able to negotiate with this corpse. Well, well, yeah, well, with the estate, you know, and so it was just wild when I read this, and I just recently read this. So I never knew that. I was I was always kind of curious in the back of my mind as yeah. to what happened to Warlock because I know Dora went solo after that. But it wasn't because she wanted to go solo. It's because she kind of had to. So it was interesting. That makes sense. Well, we have four albums that you're going to talk about, four albums that I'm going to talk about. And, you know, they're not necessarily our favorites, but they're notable albums that we're going to put a little bit more detail into than, than the rest of the albums that we just mentioned, and we're going to mention some more later on. So, um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. That's fine. Okay. You can go first. 
All right. Um, you said some of them aren't our favorites, and I would say some of them are for sure some of our favorites. Um, I'm not doubting that. Oh, you're about to find out. <laughs> uh, uh, so speaking of um, favorites, let's just say that. Um, so this and one other album by this band are my two favorite albums. And I'm going to talk about Rain and Blood by uh, Slayer. Now, um, obviously, uh, three of the big four released albums this year in 1986. And uh, one of the other, or the other member of the big four uh, the following year. So this is huge. Um, Slayer released Rain and Blood, which is their third album. And uh, this was the one that really just blew everyone away. I think th like it took them a little bit of time, and as much as the first two albums are great, um, this was the album that like I'd say it's pretty near perfection when it comes to a a thrash metal album. Um, the you know the the lyrical content, the instrumentation, the the like the song structure themselves, everything to me is like nearly perfect. I mean, I listen to this album, I don't skip a song. Uh, uh, pretty much every song is is a hit in my mind, at least as far as like a metal song goes. Uh, Angel of Death, I mean, what a way to start the album. It ends off with Raining Blood. Again, what a way to end the album. Everything in between, piece by piece, necrophobic, altar of sacrifice, Jesus saves, criminally insane, reborn, epidemic, postmortem, all just absolutely amazing. Um, this was my favorite era of the band as well. I mean, three albums back to back to me are, are just nearly perfection. You have rain and blood South of heaven seasons in the abyss, um, all with the same lineup of the band, which was, uh, Carrie King on guitars, Tom Mariah on bass and vocals, Jeff Hanneman on guitars and Dave Lombardo on drums, which is Dave is my absolute favorite Slayer drummer. Um, this, this album was released by Def Jam. Uh, as well as Geffen Records. Um, I mean, I think if you're a metal fan, you've probably heard about Rain and Blood a thousand times. What is there more to say? But I always feel like there is just more to say because it's like I, I could talk about this album a hundred times and never get bored of it. This, obviously, this is my favorite Slayer album, hands down. And I used to listen to this album a lot. Now, mind you, it's a very quick, short album, so it's easy to do that because the songs just fly by, literally. Um, they're so they're. <laughs> I so mean, it's under thirty quick. minutes, so yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's a car um, ride for me. <laughs> you know, "Angel of Death," one of those songs that, for whatever reason, like I don't forget the lyrics to. <laughs> um, Slayer, this this album. I mean, I had already kind of heard about Slayer. I already had kind of you know, seen a lot of this stuff around town with uh live undead, the, the live album that had come out the year before this, you know, there, you know, because I was into Metallica, then, you know, you heard about Slayer and you heard about this upstart band Megadeth that started the year before and who, where he came from. And, you know, you heard about anthrax, they were gaining popularity with spreading the disease. So this album drops and it's just like, Holy shit. You know, it's like, whoa, where did this thing come from? And yeah. it, just, it just slapped you in the face and it didn't stop slapping you until, you know, you started hearing the rain come down at the end and in the, in the last song. 
I, I mean, I love this album. Like, like you said, you listen to every single song. Every single song is great, and you just keep going through it. Over the years, I've come to the point where I just listen to Angel of Death and, you know, and Raining Blood. Um, when I when I listen to Slayer, I, I I'm very I'm gonna I'm gonna pick songs here and there that I like, only because, for me, I can only listen to so much of this kind of music like i can only listen to so much amount of marth in an in an in a period of time otherwise my i really feel like my head is pounding <laughs> i can only listen to so much uh you know uh what is it uh, melodic death metal i can only listen to so much of all of that you know where I, then i have to get back into kind of like a groove and and, and almost have to chillax after all that type of thing so <laughs> got to put in like mad season and just cool off. <laughs> but, you know, anyhow, point being is um, Slayer, this album is, is phenomenal, outstanding, favorite Slayer album. Um, have the original pressing, you know, way back from 1986 on vinyl. It's, it's amazing, amazing album. 100% agreed. All right. So my first album that I'm going to talk about, we're just going to go in a completely different direction. We're going to go to prog metal. Um, I'm going to talk about Rage for Order from Queensryche. Um, you, everyone knows that's been listening to the show for a while. I'm a big Queensryche fan. Um, the album released in June of twenty uh, of 1986 um, came out on EMI America Records. It was produced by a guy named Neil Kernan. Um, this is Queensryche's second full-length LP. Um this to me is much more aggressive than, or aggressive. This to me is much more progressive than the warning was. Um, this was definitely, you know, to to use a, a a pun, a progression from from the first album to this one. Um, you got some of that that progressive style, you know, on songs like NM One Fifty Six on on the warning, you know. But then this album came out and it was just like all over the place progressive and 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 not even like in a metal kind of way it was just really out there and this album i didn't get it at first but i loved you know walk in the shadows i loved i dream in infrared so it okay. took me a while for me to get into songs like screaming in digital or new regal or even surgical strike that that song as as cool as it is it it didn't really register with me for such a long time. But, you know, recently I've really gotten into Surgical Strike. Ever since they started playing it with Todd LaTorre, I've really gotten into that song. Um, and the rest of the album, you know, songs like Screaming in Digital and and London, they've all grown on me. To, to, I really, really appreciate this album. Although, I got to say, the one song that really just has never done it for me is Going to Get Close to You, which is a uh, a cover song. I, although the, the hook gets stuck in my head from time to time when I listen to it, because it plays in the background, that's one of those songs. I just, mm, I don't, I don't really like <laughs> <laughs> one thing I do want to say about this album is that, um, as one of the singles that they released in the, in the nineties with this, with this album, um, they and I say it that way because it was the 1991 acoustic remix of the song "I Dream in Infrared" that came out on a B side of for one of those singles. I think it was on Empire. 
uh, one of the, I don't know if it was an actual single for Empire or another one song from that album, but they released this acoustic version. Amazing. I love it. I think it's better than the actual song that's on the album, but people may argue with me about that. What, uh, what do you think about this? Cause I know you've been listening to this a little bit more since you've gotten into Queensryche over the years. Yeah. I mean, this, this is my favorite Queensryche album. I mean, we, we've talked about it a bit before. Um, I walk in the shadows is one of my favorite songs of theirs. I really love surgical strike as well. Um, that one was one that uh, you said it took kind of a while to get into it, but I, I liked it from the very beginning. Um, you know, that was a, a pretty fast song, very heavy riff, uh, has, you know, really cool, like solo that they kind of paired with orchestrals. Um, like to me, if it almost feels like a Joey Belladonna anthrax song. So it like, for me, that's like right on track, you know? Um, I like the, the song Noia Regal. Um, and then chemical youth. I thought was really cool. London, you know, not as much, you know, another kind of one of ballads. Uh, I'm not as big on the ballads as a whole, uh, even though they have some pretty strong ones. And, you know, I, I, I like the themes of it. Like, I love how it's about technology kind of like ruling our lives and things like that, which is very, you know, topical today. Um, and so I, I, I love the conceptual approach. You know, I would say this to me is, is the peak of the, the Jeff Tate era. Um, I know, you know, not everybody's going to agree with that, but I think it's certainly up for contention with that. No, uh, I could I could see that just because of the way he, the way he was handling his voice on this and mm-hmm. a lot of the screaming he did all over this album. Yeah, I mean, I I would say a lot of people are going to say obviously Operation Mindcrime or Empire, but for me, like I just I think this is my favorite album of theirs. Oh no, I I I can understand that, and I'm just the Jeff Chait thing. I think when you say he was at his peak at this album was because. He was definitely doing a lot of different things that he dies away from now. Like, yeah. and, and you can see as each album progresses, he does less and less and less of that. And even does less of it on Operation Mindcrime. You know, Mindcrime, the 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 awesome stuff about that is just just the storytelling and 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 the 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 whole concept behind it, really. Mm-hmm. Um but vocally he's he's all over the place on this one and he's just ripping vocals left and right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like it, it's very impressive. Like obviously like he's younger, so he, he hasn't strained his voice. He hasn't done a lot of things, but like the vocal techniques that he used back then and like that era through, I would say empire, you know, his, his that's, that's really his peak era. And, um, I don't think anything that came after it was nearly as strong, but I mean, even today he's a great vocalist, no doubt. Yes, he is, but he's not the same as he used to be. Yeah. Who is? <laughs> I, I tell you what, I heard new, I heard the new Judas Priest single today and it is pretty, you know, you hear Rob still screaming at that age. And I was like, you know, well, I, I know Rob is, Rob is insane. He really is. I, I haven't heard the new the single. I didn't even know it came out today. So I'm going to have to listen to it. Uh, actually it came out Friday and it's really, really good. So I like it a lot. You um, like one, it better than the last one that they released? Crown of Horns? Yes. Yeah. I like it. I okay. like it more than Crown of Horns. Crown of Horns so far is my least favorite. So um i'm i'm and i didn't hate it by any means so like i'm 
so far I'm I'm loving everything they're, they're releasing for this album. So cool. Me too. Um, real quick note on this Queensryche thing. For those of you listening to this episode, check on social media. I'm going to put out a surprise for you guys because I'm I'm going to put a picture of me when I went to my prom, and it's going to look a lot like a, a, a couple of people on the back cover of this Queensryche album. So uh, look out for that when you get a chance. Um, and another quick note, Arch Enemy covered Walk in the Shadows, which is an amazingly different version. <laughs> you know, it's it's all right. I I prefer the original for sure, even though I am a fan of Arch Enemy, maybe not in their current incarnation. Uh, but uh, is, over the years, I've been a fan of Arch Enemy. Um, and um, it's an interesting cover for sure. Definitely check it out. All right, what what's your next album? So I'm going to talk about Sugar Ray. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to talk about Death, uh, Seventh Star by uh, Black Seventh. No, again, I'm kidding. Um, let's talk about one that I've probably talked about a lot. Uh, Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. Um, so at any given time, this could be my favorite uh, Iron Maiden album um, because it alternates between that and number of the beast and the reason being is i just sometimes feel a bit heavier than others and sometimes i want to listen to somewhere in time and i i find that at any given moment wasted years is you know my favorite song and then other times it's uh hollowed be thy name so um you know it just depends on my mood so one thing that i can say about somewhere in time is it has some amazing riffs. This was the uh, kind of the era where Adrian Smith, you know, is is becoming a little bit more confident. He's adding some songs into the mix, like Wasted Years, like I said. Um, it, this album has, uh, you know, Caught Somewhere in Time, which is a huge hit. Um, sea of Madness, which people love. Heaven Can Wait uh stranger in a strange land obviously big one alexander the great i am so excited to hear live uh for the first time they're they're just doing it now for this newest tour and uh i have a lifelong love for the loneliness of the long distance runner um you know this was still in the you know the peak years of iron maiden before uh you know the band kind of started split with no prayer for the dying so you You've got the classic lineup, which is you know Bruce Dickinson on uh, lead vocals, Dave Murray on guitars, uh, Adrian Smith on guitars, uh, Steve Harris on bass, and Nico McBrain on drums. I would say most people would consider that to be you know the peak uh, era of the band. Even though I'm gonna say I have always loved Clyde Burr's drums, and I will like you know as much as I love Nico. Clive is always my favorite drummer for, for uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, but this was a really different album as far as they started adding s- some guitar synthesizers, bass synthesizers, um, you know, and it's a departure for some people. Like you've mentioned in the past, Kenneth, that you're, you know, uh, you know, is not, not as big of a fan of the album. Um, but, you know, uh, even now, like when they play the songs, they're great to hear live. They don't really use the synthesizers anymore. 
Uh, for me, that was never something that bothered me. I, I enjoyed it. Um, one thing that's also really cool about this album, if you get time to, to look at it, is the cover. Um, it's got lots and lots of Easter eggs, including even Batman's on it, uh, you know, somewhere hidden. Um, so, you know, take a look at it, see all the Easter eggs you can find, and then you can go on Google and see, you know, what Easter eggs you missed. That's always a really cool thing. And, um, yeah, like I just absolutely love this album. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but, uh, still from the uh you know the peak era of this band yeah i agree that it's a good album um i've i've never well let me let me correct that it's definitely a good album and it's not one of my favorites by any means um in in fact when it came out i think the biggest thing that really got me was the 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 guitar synths because it was so funny just two years prior um there was a documentary that came out on mtv um that was called iron maiden behind the iron curtain and they were doing that they began the the power slave world slavery tour in the eastern block of europe that at the time was still um kind of under uh, soviet rule uh, or for those people out there who don't know, Russia used to be called the Soviet Union. Um, so they were communist, even though technically they say today they're not. Yeah, we we know that's not true. Anyhow, um, so they started, they, I think they were in Warsaw, Poland at the time. And they were at a party. And some guy says to, to Bruce Dickinson, they're playing music really loud. He goes, I, he says to Bruce, he goes, I want to play heavy metal with keyboards. And Bruce Dickinson turns around and says, you can't play heavy metal with keyboards. Right. And that was my terrible Bruce Dickinson accent. And Lord knows, two years later, they're fucking using guitar synths and keyboards. And it was just like, what the fuck? is going on with iron maiden but cannot deny the songs are good okay i love caught some more time i love wasted years it's a great song um there's a lot of now that i'm older that song has such deeper meaning to me it's it's incredible um stranger in a strange land i can deal with it's a cool little mid-paced song but uh i can give you know take it or leave it really um heaven can wait's okay i like that song um the albums for me was a mixed bag um i was you know for me coming off of power slave this was to me a major disappointment it did not have the impact on me personally that power slave had or peace of mind had but it's still, when you look back on it now, you, you can see that it's it's a very good album. I, Alexander Great, can't wait to see it later this year when we go to see Maiden up in Dallas. That's going to be awesome. Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, I'll give it. I, it's one of their classic albums for sure. It's not one of my favorites. I know it's one of yours, though. Yep, between the two, like I said. It's I'm looking one. at the album cover. Can't find Batman. I thought you have to open it for the full, like when you flip it open and it's got, um, you know, like the, the full, um, like fold out. 
Well, the original doesn't fold out, so I can I can turn it sideways and look at you know I can turn it around and look at the backside. Oh, that was just on the CD, I guess. Yeah, and the CD you can open it all up, but you know and it the, might the, be it might be on the backside. He's on a rooftop. Oh, oh, he's on a rooftop, is he? Yes, he's not just standing. Uh, oh, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I see him now. <laughs> okay, I mean it's it's just. It's an image of what you would think is Batman. Pretty cool. much, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, this is such a cool album cover. You know, I remember when when I first got, it, I was just looking all over the place for all the cool little Easter eggs. Which back then, when I was a kid, was not called Easter eggs. It was called something else. I didn't hear about Easter eggs until DVDs became a thing. I, yeah, they, I think that's when the term really became big. Yeah. So I, I mean, like I said it's not one of my favorites. I do like the album. Don't take it. Don't take, I'm don't taking that offense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fine. If you're going to take offense and I'm going to give you something that you didn't necessarily want to listen to. <laughs> All uh, right. Poison. Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> um, that came out on May 23rd, 1986 on Enigma records. It was produced by a guy named Rick Brody or Browdy. I can't, can't say i don't know how to pronounce his name correctly because i don't know who he is although he did do a <laughs> lot of did do a lot of hair metal bands in in the 80s before they were called hair metal bands um it's poison's debut album and i gotta say it is probably the ultimate glam cover and glam album that came out in the in the 80s um you look at the the cover and it's you cannot tell. Yeah, androgynous is is exactly the word you, you you that comes to mind when you see this album cover. But let's get past the cover. Let's get to the music. This album was a triple platinum success, but it didn't start out that way. They wanted the song "Cry Tough," um, or the, the record company wanted the band to, to release the song "Cry Tough." They did that as a single, the first single. It didn't do anything. And somewhere along the way, someone had the bright idea of let's release Talk Dirty to Me as a single. And they did a video for it. It exploded. And it kind of took the record company by surprise because they didn't really think it was going to do anything. But then it did. Um, and then from there, I Want Action became a big single. And then the ballad or... I wouldn't even call it a ballad. It's just a slower song. It's a power ballad of the album, but it was before Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Um, it, the song I Won't Forget You which just took off. It was big. I mean, it, I Won't Forget You peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 and Talk Dirty to Me, for, for what it's worth, peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. So, I mean, Talk Dirty to Me is, to, to me is the epitome of 80s glam metal. I mean, it, this whole album to me is like the epitome of 80s glam metal, more so than anything Motley Crue did, because Motley Crue's, it to me, is the, the epitome of sleaze metal <laughs> that came out <laughs> in the 80s. And then you got Poison, which was a true, basically, glam metal band to me. Um, this album played constantly on my my new car that I got in the summer of 1986. So, um, yeah, this... Uh, I know you don't have too much of a high opinion on, on this, this album <laughs> on poison, yeah. um, <laughs> poison or this album. <laughs> so uh, here's my question. You look at the album cover. 
Um, who's the best looking lady? <laughs> it's not Bobby Doll. I tell you it's that. Not much. Bobby Doll. I mean, it's it's probably between it's probably between <laughs> CC Deville and Ricky Rocket. Uh, it's, they look the most like women. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I will say this: "Talk Dirty to Me" is is one of, if not my favorite, Poison song. I think it's it's you know it's a good song, no doubt. Um, I'm not as big of like I'm not on the into the really really glammy stuff, um, so it's 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 hard for me to 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 really get into it. But that being said, I mean obviously this is a pretty landmark album for the band. What what's interesting to me about Poison was. You know, a lot of the stuff was starting to gear towards, obviously, like um, grunge music, etc. Like even at that t- that time, right? You know, um, thrash is coming out and and really making its like biggest albums. Obviously, we're talking about a bunch of them today. And then you know, glam is is kind of starting to go away, but for some reason, you know, uh, Poison just managed to stay alive in the glam scene. They, I think they were just so like, you know, um, what's the word? Like they just had the the right vibe for the time, I think. And it worked for them. Obviously things, you know, by 1993, things shifted a little bit. Um, but you know, that little pocket of time, you know, from now until, you know, around 93, they, they managed to kind of like outlive some of the other glam bands that were already making changes. So no, so I was just, you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of him, I can still, you know, uh, appreciate that they had that little, you know, uh, pocket of time that they were just a big band. I, I mean, I kind of have to disagree a little bit about the, the fact that you thought that um, glam metal was going down. I think at this point, 1986, between 85 to 89 was the peak years of glam metal in my opinion just growing up in that scene i mean a yeah, lot of they got a lot you, of man. yeah a lot of stuff starting to to to, to come up in 83 84 but you know obviously you know motley crew with theater of pain in 85 or is that 84 no it was 85 um and then you know they came out with girls 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 in 87 but you know poison you know they come out with this album and then you know uh, open up and say, ah, two years later in 1988, that album was even bigger than this one. And that, you know, that, that was the, when power ballads really hooked people in because home sweet home. It's funny when you listen to home sweet home from Motley Crue, that was the start of the power ballad era. But in reality, it's not a super sappy song. Mm-hmm. Although lyrically, you can say that, but it, I mean, it's, it's got a, a tempo to it. That's a little bit quicker than most ballads. Right. Yeah. And, um, but you know, to me, the peak ballad, it was every rose has a thorn that came out on open up and say, ah, two years later, you know, that to me, that was, that no, was I, the ballad, you know? So, so to be clear, what I was saying was that they managed to like 90, 91, mm-hmm, they were yeah. still big. Whereas oh, yeah. other bands were already shifting away from that. They were still managing to stay big in the, like, there was no real glam scene as much anymore, but they, they like, they didn't care. They were just like, we're doing our thing. Oh yeah. No, I, that I agree with. That's kind of what I was getting at more was not, not that they were making that shift at this time, but I was talking about like them as a whole, as a band. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, 80, 1990, 91 was definitely the the death knell of uh, glam metal. Yeah, uh, but like Unskinny Bop was a freaking huge hit. Right, it was. In, in a time when like people were, weren't as into that, you know? <laughs> like, so it's interesting to me. No, I, you're absolutely correct. I mean, Flesh and Bud came out in 1990, and it had some good tracks on it. There was still, there was still grunge as it was born in 1990. Well, it was born before that, but in terms mm -hmm. of popularity and really coming out, obviously it wasn't until September of 91 where, uh, ne never mind, not never mind. Yeah, never mind, right? <clears throat> when, when that came out, but it was obviously those bands, you know, Alice in Chains already existed, Soundgarden already existed, Nirvana already existed, but they, nobody really, knew too much about them so it, the, i guess we say the underground was starting to bubble over you know mm -hmm. and um so yeah 1990 is when the, is, it was the crossover period where new bands were forming legend bands or legacy bands or or veteran bands were wallowing in the mire if you want if you put it that way because yeah they were they were didn't know which way which direction to go in because for lack of a better term, they were running out of ideas. People were not going to see a lot of these shows anymore because they were kind of over it, you know, and they wanted something new. Fans wanted something new, but fans still wanted to be entertained. So there's, there's that kind of balance that a lot of bands didn't do, but you know, um, poison. Yes, you were, you're correct in that. They were able to kind of maintain that popularity through the early nineties. Then, you know, when the band lineup changes with CC and all that stuff, that's when things kind of went a little different for him. I, I mean, th th like, think about this, like the last single that was released for flesh and blood was in July of 1991. And then in September of 1991 was smells like teen spirit. And like, is that not like a nail in the coffin? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it was. I mean, you, you basically had the one door closed and the other one open. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's your third album? Uh, my third album is going to be Epicus Dumicus Metallicus from <laughs> Candlemass. Um, so a little silly name, but uh, this is a, a major landmark album in the world of doom metal. You know, we don't talk a whole lot about doom metal because neither of us are are really big fans of it per se. Uh, but this is, a, I mean, this is a really impressive album. It's, it's something very different than, you know, a lot of the stuff that was coming out at the time. Um, and so, you know, I think it's inspired a ton of bands, you know, stuff that, that has come out. Like, I think, I think obviously like you, t you take the like gloomy doom kind of stuff of the early black Sabbath. But bands like Candlemass really took that and 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 ran with it and and took it like to a, the next level. Whereas Black Sabbath, you know, did those things early on, but they really changed their style over time. You know, by the time Dio was in the band, they were playing more heavy, like heavy heavy metal. So it's, you know, the, you know, there was a pocket or or a, a uh, the pocket's not the right word. There was a um, uh, there's a void. And, you know, bands like Candlemass really filled that. And so, like, this album, um, what's interesting is, like, you know, they didn't really have 
uh, a full band at the time. You know, they had a bassist, a rhythm guitarist, and a drummer. And they had a guest musician play uh, for the vocals. They had a guest lead guitar. They had uh, guest guitar. They had guest backing vocals. Um, so it's interesting that this has become as big as it is because in the next year, when they released, uh, you know, their 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 you know next few albums after, um, you know, they had Messiah Markelin as their their vocalist, which was their longtime vocalist for many albums. But in this one, they had Johan Lenkvist, who was uh, now, or I believe he's in the band now, um, which is it kind of interesting that they kind of went full circle. It took years and years and years for this guy who was on, you know, their, not their biggest release per se, but like one of the, 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 you know, landmark albums. And it, you know, he's, he was in the band from 1984, um, or sorry, 1986. And that was it. And then 2018 to present, like that's a gap. <laughs> yeah. You think, um, so, um, I gave this a listen, uh, ahead of time to kind of, you know, go over it and make sure I was, I was, you know, getting the full idea. And, you know, like I said, while this isn't really my style, like I, I really actually did enjoy it to a degree. Um, solitude was a really cool intro. Uh, demons gate, I think was probably my favorite song that I listened to. That one was the longest on the album. So go figure. Um, and, but, uh, you know, crystal ball, pretty cool i really liked sorcerer's pledge which was the the last song in the album um you know it's it's only six songs but it's a 42 minute album for me like listening to something that's very doomy and gloomy for 40 minutes is is maybe a little tough but um i really did appreciate it because it's like you know it's not like super depressive per se but it does have that like doom you know (sighs) like baritone kind of style like it's real dark and you know and moody foreboding um it gets you in a certain mood it gets you in a vibe so like if that's your thing like this is this is a, a landmark album it's pretty awesome i must say that i don't know anything about Candlemass. i know that they were doom metal um and it's unfortunate that I don't because uh, you know I've it was just not something that I ever got into but just kind of just glossing over some of the things that that I see about this record um you know them being a Swedish band it's interesting in that you know uh Celtic Frost um also being from out that way they as much as they were uh, a heavy metal band or or one of the early um, black metal bands, although they didn't play it in the black metal style, they were kind of doomy. Um, when you think about some of the stuff that they put out, because they, they eventually became known as avant-garde metal, but it was so different. Like, you know, yes, they've Celtic frost has circle of the tyrant, you know, and then they have songs like morbid tales, but then there was other things that were just, you know, really dark and really moody i don't want to say gloomy but moody and so they they would they they would cross that line between the two genres and so it's just interesting it must be the the long winters over in that part of the world (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i mean 
you think about a whole entire genre is named after this album title. So yeah. <laughs> epic doom metal. Yeah. Yeah. Epic doom metal. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, the, the fact that, that there's a whole genre based upon essentially, yeah, black Sabbath kind of started it, but black Sabbath it wasn't really, to me, it wasn't doomy and gloomy so much as it the was first just album, you know, not, not all of it, but like certain songs like NIB, um, and I beat to me is up is, I don't want to say upbeat, but like, like there's certain, like, uh, I'm trying to think what song it is. Uh, and I just threw an extra note in there by accident. Um, <laughs> I forgot what song it is, but there's, um, the, the, the way I look at it is people expanded on the low heaviness of black Sabbath and Created and, uh, Witchfinder General, Pentagram, you know, bands like that, like mm -hmm. they took a lot from there and then brought in like operatic singing, you know, the, the slower pace, you know, like really emphasizing certain aspects of those bands that came before them, but like not mimicking just, you know, it's like anything we've talked about with, with bands, like these offshoots that come from it. They like pick a style or something about a band that they like, and they're like, let's focus on this, and it, it evolves into a new style. And that's essentially what, what they did with this album. Oh, yeah. And so, since you mentioned Witchfinder General, on Record Store Day, they're re-releasing their debut album, Death Penalty. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll get that information. We'll remind everyone later. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to give this a, a, a spin probably tomorrow morning on my way to work. Well, maybe not on my way to work. Well, it's probably better <laughs> on my way to work because if I do it on my way home, I'm going to fall asleep on my way home. <laughs> At least I got coffee in the morning with me. <laughs> Just, you know, uh, if it's too depressing, don't, you know, come into the office all doomy and gloomy. I don't want a beer. At least tomorrow's <laughs> Friday. That being said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up for me, um, speaking of doomy and gloomy, The Dark from Metal Church. Now, they're not doomy and gloomy, but the album title is The Dark. Um, so this is Metal Church's second album released in October 6th of 86 on Electra Asylum Records. Um, it's produced by a guy named Mark Dodson, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Um, it, so this is the this is the follow-up to their really, really good, awesome debut album. And if you take the first half of the album and you, and that was all you heard, it would be like a really great follow-up EP. Um, the second half of the album basically sounds like a band that has lost their way. Sounds like a band that doesn't know what a good hook is. They got some good riffs, but the hooks are not really there what happened was it, there there was a lot of turmoil in the band and and they were getting pulled in different directions in terms of their musicality and, and, and not musicality in terms of their musical direction and they literally lost the hook i mean the the first half of the album great but somehow it was like they, they got a riff and they just would not get away from the riff. And, and the riff wasn't necessarily a hooky riff. It was just a good riff. I don't know. That performance suffered. The energy was low. Uh, it, there was something, you know, I don't know if it was something that 
something had to do with Dave Wayne, you know, maybe on his way out at that point, who knows what the deal is, but there was lots of things that, that kind of went in a different direction. Had it, you know, the first four songs, I mean, when you talk about a uh, ton of bricks, um, start the fire, watch the children pray. Those are great songs. I mean, when we went to see them, you know, a few, uh, several months ago, they played all three of those songs. Am I, am I, am I wrong? Right, they played Watch I the believe, Children Pray. I know they played Watch the Children Pray for sure. They definitely played um Start the Fire. They did. They, yes. they may not have done ton of bricks, but I got we can we can check I the, think the, they did though. Uh, I, think, I mean I think they did too. Um, but that that's the thing, you know. So you've got those songs, the first half of the album, but the, on the second half it was just what the hell happened? I mean, it was like <laughs> the tale of two bands. Um, and when I was talking about the, the producer, Mark Dotson, so Mark Dotson ended up producing state of euphoria from anthrax. So here's the funny thing about that. Um, metal church, thrash band, right? Anthrax thrash band. Now metal church comes out with this album and it caught the ear of Scott Ian. But one thing about this album, that's so not what you expect is it is a slickly produced album for a thrash band. And I think that's another reason f- that I don't personally think it, it's as good as it can be because part of thrash and, and I don't know. I mean, I think James Hetfield hits it on the nose. You, you know, he, he loves to sing with his vocals really dry. I mean, uh, and Justice for All, the whole album is so dry that you, if after one listen, you you have to go to the fridge and grab a, a glass of water because you're parched. Um, St. <laughs> Anger, the vocals were really dry. They've perfected it with Rick Rubin, kind of with Death Magnetic, and then, you know, Greg Fiddleman doing the last couple albums. They've perfected their sound to some degrees. So it still comes across dry, but it doesn't have that really ripped sound. Metal Church, the first album, was really well produced uh, in that regards. Even though it was like a high-end demo, it sounded good. But, man, this slick production of thrash metal, just the, the, the two don't mix very well. And this this had that slick production. Scott Ian did that, and they didn't come across the same way. State of Euphoria doesn't have that slick production. Um, but I guess Mark Dawson tried to do that. And I don't know, uh, it, something didn't work. I mean, between the fact that they had to rush the album out, but I don't know. It was, it's one of those things where I don't, you know, as everyone hears this show from time to time, I love music production and I'm more attuned to the dry side of things than, than the slick side of things. And I listen to some of the, like some of the, slicker Ozzy albums and I'm like I wish it would sound like Blizzard of Oz or I wish it would sound like Diary of a Madman you know rather than say uh, you know No More Tears No More Tears is a good album but it's it, to me it's too slick but I, I can't listen to No More Tears anymore I even like when the song itself comes on I've always liked it I, I mean I, I don't really have a problem with it I just like I don't feel I feel like I don't ever have to hear it again it's I don't know. It's something about that album. I mean, I, this, I like the song "No More Tears," but you know, Mister Tinker Train. You know, from I don't know. There's something about that album is kind of weird. I know what you mean. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm like over it. Um, <laughs> 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 I, 
and, oh. and it's not even like I hate it or anything. It's just like I just I don't know. I just, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, what are your thoughts on the Metal Church album? Um, I mean, like you said, the the first few songs in the album are really good. Um, you know, for me, it took a while to kind of get into the David Wayne era of the band. Um, cause I, I, I mostly liked, you know, um, Mike Howell's vocals. Um, but I think going to see them live also kind of helped with some of that for me too. Like I, I've always, you know, I've liked the first album. I think metal church, you know, from 1984 is, is a great album. Um, the dark never really did a whole lot for me, but I think, you know, like I said, hearing them live, excuse me, hold them. I think hearing them live, like it, it kind of impressed me. Um, start the fire was really cool. Ton of bricks. Uh, and then watch the children pray. I, I believe those were the three that they played from the dark. Um, so, uh, you're right though. The second half of the album kind of directionless, um, you know, not very impressive, but that being said, like the first, first half's really good. And uh, it gave me a lot more respect for, you know, that era of the band. So, oh, Ton of Bricks and Start the Fire started the show. Yeah. <laughs> for, uh, yeah. And then they did sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Watch the Children Pray uh, came up later, later on. So, yeah. I mean, oh, I think they did. Um, did they do Bur- Burial at Sea? Yes. They also did Burial at Sea. So that's one of the songs on the, on the second half of the album that they still continue to play. Don't get me wrong. When I say that the second, out, it, like you said, it, it was directionless. So it's not know, bad. It's just, it's right. just not as focused. I mean, like, I, I don't understand why, um, stone sour did a cover of the dark. I don't, I think there's better songs in this album to do covers of, but then again, you know, you choose a cover, not necessarily based on the fact that you like the song, but Hey, sometimes there's, Everyone can like the song that they, they they choose to like, but I think there's better songs to choose from that are you know that you can like. Um, but yeah, so they still play Burial Let's See. Heavy riff, but I, I I I personally think that that song could have not been played and something else could have played. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe maybe some more of the Mike Cow era stuff. Like they played hate, Fake Healer, they played Badlands, yeah. but I think that was it from his era. No, fake healer, badlands, uh, psycho. Was that was that a new song? Was psych psychos from this album from from, right, so from the dark? From Cong- oh, is it? Mm-hmm. It's on the second half of the album. Oh Jesus! So they played two songs from the second half of the album. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. See, there's good riffs. Like I said, there's good riffs on those songs. I I just don't think those songs go anywhere. You know, like you think about ton of bricks and start the fire, and then you know you look at Psycho and he's like, eh, "It's is it this? I don't know. It doesn't go. To, it doesn't do the same thing for me. Riffs are great, but I don't know. I I, just, I feel like I've just contradicted myself because they played two songs from the second half and two songs from or three songs from the first half. Yeah. But I in in reality, I don't necessarily like the second half of the album as much as I like the first half. That's just it. Fair enough. All right, so what do you got for your last album tonight? Um, so I'm sure you can guess, uh, but my my last album for the night, <clears throat> sorry, 
Well, my last album I'm going to go over is Peace Sells, But Who's Buying by Mangadeth. Um, I think it's fitting, you know, to be uh, one of the last ones we talk about because it is probably, you know, the second biggest album of that year, uh, realistically, as far as metal goes. Um, you know, the first album for Megadeth didn't do so great. Uh, it's kind of, eh, it's, it's an all right album. It's not, it's not nearly as good as the stuff that followed. Uh, but this is where really when Dave kind of got his shit together. Um, you know, they had Gar Samuelson on drums, Chris Poland on lead and rhythm guitars, David Ellison on bass and Dave Mustaine on lead and rhythm guitars. Um, this album is another one that I can listen to from beginning to end without skipping anything. Uh, Wake Up Dead is an absolutely awesome opening. I can kind of relate to it, and not not in the cheating part of the song, uh, but certainly the uh, thinking that uh, somebody that I'm sleeping with is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> I can elaborate on that story if you'd like to hear it, uh, but... Um, the um conjuring i think is an awesome track peace cells obviously amazing like one of my favorite uh megadeth songs of all time um also um you know one of the first songs that i heard from the band that really just like i i was hooked devil's island amazing song to end the the first half on good morning black friday love it uh, bad omen. I ain't superstitious in my last words. I mean, like eight songs that I just absolutely dig. Like I still listen to this album from time to time, and like I said, don't even skip an, a song on it. Um, this is probably my second favorite Megadeth album, and it's hard for me sometimes to kind of like go between that and Rust in Peace. I think Rust in Peace is obviously like a much bigger album it's it's a little bit slicker and i think that's why i kind of teeter between that and peace cells because peace cells still like like i love chris poland's work um you know like that that era of the band has a very distinct sound this is really when they like i said when they got things together um you know it's it's a huge step up like they originally started recording it for combat and then Capitol Records bought the rights to it so that they could they could release it. Obviously, they they had faith in the band by hearing what the, what they were putting together, um, you know. And, and this was like Megadeth becoming Megadeth. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a huge album. I think it's easily debatable. Like some people will say this is their favorite Megadeth album of all time. I think it's totally warranted. I mean, I I can understand that, and I can I can see that side of the story for it or you know hear that side of the argument um i like the album a lot it's not my favorite megadeth album i mean uh, my favorite megadeth album actually is countdown to extinction and i think that's the first one i really knew from beginning to end although i knew this one beginning to end but it was thing like i ain't superstitious okay over the years let me put it this way megadeth has covered some odd songs so this is you know, their second album, they put Iron Super, a Willie Dixon blues song. And they they really, I mean, thrash music wasn't Maybe known. it's a Howlin' Wolf song. Well, it was written by Willie Dixon. For Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, it's still a, a heavy, 
heavy duty blues song and for it to be covered by by a thrash band uh, not just a thrash band a, a band that was still establishing themselves in the world of metal you know not everyone can sit there and say oh you know i'm gonna go ahead and do a blues song on my next album because it, it doesn't come it's ballsy it, no, it's super ballsy, and they changed it. You know, not they didn't change it, but they just made it so you know a thrashy song. You know, I think there could have probably been better choices. You know, sort of like I didn't understand the need for them to do uh, Anarchy in the UK on the, on the next album. Okay, or what the hell were they doing? Doing these boots were made for walking on the first album. <laughs> I mean, this is just their choice of covers for the first three albums are really unique, and. Does it work for them? I don't necessarily think it works for them, but it does establish them as a band that that for for as serious as Dave is, has a sense of humor. It's it's a sinister sense of humor, but it's a sense of humor nonetheless. You know, it's just strange to me. However, wake I up day. really like this cover though. Like I love the way it starts, especially like the like it's just so cool like to me it's very iconic and it's a short cover too oh and yeah, yeah the, no. and then like two minutes long yeah, it's 240 so. 246 but you know yeah like i say it's it's definitely unique and they made it their own you know but i think you know to me the highlights of this album are wake up dead the conjuring and peace cells the whole first side is awesome um wake up dead is such a cool song um Shit, Lamb of God and Megadeth just covered it last year, or was it two years ago? Something like that. They did a cover of it. And I don't know. Time goes way, way too fast now. <laughs> I tell you, it's probably yes, yeah, two years ago. Um, killer. I mean, killer version. You know, and it was Megadeth with Randy Blythe and Lamb of God, so that's pretty cool. But I, I mean, I love this version. I have this on vinyl. Um, Peace sells. I mean, absolutely one of the most memorable bass lines out there. Um, awesome, awesome song. And I just, I loved the, with the first two albums, how they had those, um, the titles that you can mess around with, you know, killing is my business and business is good. Right. You know, now you got peace sells, but who's buying, you know, it, it, I mean, Dave was unique in that regards and coming up with some really cool titles of songs and albums. Um, side two, probably not as strong as side one but still uh, uh, still strong enough to carry the album. So I, I thought it was a good album. I mean, I'm not going to take away anything from, from Megadeth. Um, for, the, for the three albums, or if you want to put it this way, for the four albums that came out in a year span by the big four, it still would be my least favorite. So it's unfortunate <laughs> in that regards. But oh, wow. Know. Yeah, it's definitely not my least favorite. I mean, it's my second favorite. Um, of the big four, I'm going to sit there and say it is my least favorite. So we, obviously, we're going to talk about this right now. Master of Puppets from Metallica is my favorite. Anthrax is Among the Living that came out in early 97 was my second favorite of the of that, of that the big four in that year's, that 12-month period, right? And mm -hmm. then Slayer would, would be right right behind it, and then Megadeth. And that's not to say that I don't. I did not listen to all four of these albums incessantly. I tell you that I listened to all four of these albums like crazy. Uh, no, I, was, I, I mean I think I think there, it'd be foolish to think like you didn't enjoy them. I mean, or any of them. I mean, all four are absolutely great albums. I just I I just try to think of it like you know 
which ones did I listen to the most? I mean, Anthrax was the least for me. Um, oh. and which, it, part of, part of Anthrax, I mean, they were a New York band, so yeah. there was that there was that kind of pride in this band, and then discovering like I didn't know anything about moshing, so when I'm reading the lyrics and it says mosh part. Like what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I'm, I'm just, a, I was a fucking hermit in my in high school, you know, for the most part. So not that I, not, not that I, not on purpose. It wasn't really. I didn't stay in my house. I was always out with my friends, but we weren't. It wasn't like a, a group of headbangers. We ranged from, you know, uh, preteen kids all the way up to you know, kids that were out of high school, you know, if you want to call them kids, they were basically adults at that point. That's the group of people that I hung out with in my neighborhood. And we all listened to all sorts of different kinds of music, mostly metal. It wasn't one of those things where we were just standing around and, you know, maybe drinking a beer in the corner. You couldn't do that because you get in trouble, but we were around, you know, playing stickball, playing tag you know uh not not flag football but you know touch two-hand touch football we were always active rather than just standing around uh listening to a boom box so that that was a big difference for for me growing up mm. you didn't you didn't have the uh cardboard box out there doing the the air guitar no i didn't <laughs> not, not at all so you know um so I, I took more pride, I guess, with with the New York band of Anthrax, but I still like the album better than than Megadeth. I liked it better than Slayers. Yeah, I mean, oh. we all have a taste, right? Like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, I think I, for, for me, obviously, I mean, I say obviously, uh, for me, it's Metallica. I mean, that's that's my favorite Metallica album by far, Master of Puppets. And then it's tough. Like, I would say Megadeth is still probably my second favorite of that year. And then Slayer, and then Anthrax. It's like I, I really only recently got into Anthrax at all. And then, I mean, Slayer, I, I love that album. It's, it's, it's tough. Like I, I it might be a toss up between you know Slayer and Megadeth being like number two. Because I mean, the older I get, the more I love that Slayer album too. Uh, you know, it's tough. But, but like I said, like. Sometimes my mood changes, so it it may switch from day to day. But like the you know, Master Puppets just obviously a, a massive album, and I'm you're going to talk about it next, so might yes. as well start that. <laughs> yes, Master Puppets released March third, so it was the it was the first of the four albums to come out. Um, and think about that. He's like, well, how do we compete with this? But at the same time, when you think about it. Megadeth wasn't in the studio. Well, they may have they may have heard it before they went in the studio. I mean, think about let's see, that came out in September. They started recording in February and March of '86. So they're in the studio at the time this comes out. So they're probably kind of like, damn it, or you know, they they couldn't come up with a follow up or something to to say. Oh shit, they did this, and let, let let's try this. It was more like a reaction after that. Um, but regardless, came out March 3rd, 1986 on Re- Electro Records, produced by Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen. Uh, coincidentally enough, it was mixed by Michael Wagner, which is interesting. Michael has been 
has been known to work with, except Molly Crew, Doc, and, and Overkill. And then later on, after Master Puppets, they worked with Megadeth, Saigon Kick, and Skid Row. So, what else can we say about this album that hasn't already been said? This is a masterpiece of metal music. This is a you know everyone talks about it being a thrash masterpiece. Again, I've said this constantly. Metallica stopped being a thrash band on Ride the Lightning. They were elements that they used when you think about it, but songs like For Whom the Bell Tolls is not thrash. A song like Fade to Black is not thrash. Okay? I, for whoever wants to argue with me, we can argue about it all day long. Okay? Um this song. email said debating metal at gmail. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Email us and, and give me your argument and I'll I'll write you back. Um but you know, I mean yes, a song like Creeping Death. But even then when you when you think about like to me, battery is a thrash song. But not even not even master of puppets, when you think about how they play, like battery, yes, it has all the elements. It has the thrash drum beat, it has the speed and all that stuff. But when you start thinking about Master of Puppets, I mean it's on Stranger Things now. And you when you listen to it, it really doesn't come across as a thrash song. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about it differently. I don't know. But regardless, it is you know, you have Master Puppets, you have Battery. I mean, I'm sorry, is is uh, the thing that should not be a thrash song? No, that's one heavy, sludgy song. Welcome Home, Sanitarium is not a thrash song, but damn good song. When you go to side two and you start, you know, you listen to Disposable Heroes, yes, thrash song, okay? But Leopard Messiah, well, if if I'm not mistaken... That is a foray into progressiveness that most people didn't really understand at the time. I, I don't think Metallica had done anything with odd time signatures up until that point. I'm just picturing somebody listening to it like, I don't understand. <laughs> but, you know, Leopard Messiah was a completely different song. Thrashy, but completely different. I mean, it's, that's a progressive song if I ever heard one at that point. Orion, it goes into lots of different territories most of it not really thrashy and then of course damage incorporated you know is a very thrash song so you know they they were i mean fuck those are eight great songs and uh and even now like i appreciate orion so much more now than i have in the past um like i literally ignored that song for so many years you know and and didn't really understand the magnitude and the uh, the the incredible songwriting that went into that song i i didn't understand it for many 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 years but i you would think about it now and it's just like oh my god what what a fucking piece of work that song is you know especially considering it was written on the bass so think about that too anyhow like i said what else can be said about it you know someone's going to sit there and say you're fucking crazy but it's my favorite uh, song or album. So as far as, not as far as Metallica is concerned, because Ride the Lightning is still my favorite Metallica album, but this is number two for me. Um, but it's my favorite of the big four that came out in that 12-month period. 
Uh, I know you already mentioned what your favorite was, which was this one. Um, but what what else do you have to say about this album? It's all right. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, this was probably the 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 album that captured me the most with Metallica. Um, like I've mentioned before, like in my high school years, I was a really big Metallica fan. Um, you know, it, the two albums for me, well, really three albums, I would say that really got me into them were Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and and uh, and Justice for All. And from beginning to end, um, this is another album that I think is is pretty damn near perfect. It's it's hard to argue with that, uh, and you're you're right in a lot of ways. Um, it kind of drifts away from the uh, the formula of being a thrash album, but you know this is still pretty on, early on in the thrash era, and it, it, it's still like technically it falls into it's like if you think about it, the context of the time, it still falls into like the thrash. Uh, genre but yeah there's songs that are definitely not um i mean orion's not a thrash song by any means um you know it, fi it finds more roots in just heavy metal right uh master puppets you know that's definitely not really just a thrash song but it is a battery definitely is more but like it doesn't even matter like it, it it's the music that appealed to those that like those fan bases at the time and obviously, you know, there was people that say they stopped being thrash after, you know, 15 minutes of playing or something. You know, there's ones that like say they they uh, they sold out after Kill 'Em All. Who who cares? It's just good music. Um, so I mean, while I'm not, you know, the biggest mark for Metallica out there, I still love this album. I think it's it's undeniable how good it is. It's definitely the best album of 1986, and, and I'm not talking about your favorite. I'm talking about it's 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 the best album of 1986 for metal. And you know you know how I I will get on your case about talking about Metallica on every episode, but you know I, let's be real. Like this is the time to celebrate them because like this is their best album, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I can I can see that argument. Um, so I just looked it up, and between Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth, the four albums. And basically, another thing to understand, these are four classic albums, not just any four albums. Four classic where, where you're basically looking at staples of these bands' careers, okay? Peace sells, but who's buying from Megadeth? I mean, it is, it is a staple. Slayer's Rain and Blood, staple. You know, Anthrax, among the living, they built their career on this album, and they ride <laughs> they it. Pretty much play the whole album every <laughs> exactly. show. <laughs> exactly. All right, and you know, and then Master Puppets. You know, so the twelve months, almost to the day, March sixteenth is when Anthrax came out with Among the Living, and March third is when Metallica came out with Master of Puppets. So it's literally fifty-four week period these four albums came out. So that's, that's incredible in and of itself. Anyhow, um, 1986 is just an amazing, amazing year for music. It, it, it wasn't just those thrash albums. I mean, there was also 
the other half of the metal, the glam stuff and the, and the, 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 and you don't want to call it pop metal if you want, you know, or whatever straightforward heavy metal. I mean, except came out with Russian roulette that year. Um, we, we mentioned earlier black Sabbath with seven star. You mentioned Bon Jovi slippery when wet. How huge was that album? I had no, it is Bon Jovi's biggest selling album. It's a diamond album. Man, that's incredible. That came out. Um, Exciter comes out now. We don't talk much about Exciter, and I think uh, Chris, I think we should do a an episode on Canadian metal. I think some, okay. some I think some of our fans will will really dig that. Um, and we Exciter, have to talk about Fozzie. <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But Exciter, I mean, out of Canada, this uh, this is their. I want to say it's their third album. I, I'm not exactly sure. It was the one album that I figured out who they were at that point, and I was one of the first bands where I didn't understand like uh, the what the guy was singing about because he was singing a similar vocal styling to uh, Brian Johnson, but with a higher pitch. Which I don't know how you could do that, <laughs> but um, interesting album in and of itself. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam comes out with their debut album, Doomsday for the Deceiver. And guess what? Later that year, their bass player leaves. Um, Great White, Shot in the Dark, which basically began the string of, of hit albums for them. Um, we mentioned Guns N' Roses released their, their debut EP, Live Like a Suicide. No one knew who they were, but they were, they were coming. We mentioned Iron Maiden. Judas Priest, Turbo, that came out in 86. I mean, think about that. Uh, or or don't. Or don't. <laughs> you know, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Creator came out with Pleasure to Kill. Lizzie Borden had two albums. They had a, a Menace to Society, their studio album, and then they came out with their double LP live album, Murderous Metal Roadshow. Uh, Ingve Malmsteen. Ozzy came out that year. We're going to talk about him in a second. Uh, Quiet Riot with Quiet Riot 3. I listened to this album the other day, dude. So when was the last time you heard it or have you heard it at all? That's the album with Wild and the Young. Um, I listened to it for some reason. and It was a couple of years. I'm trying to remember why I listened to it. But it's a different one for sure. So I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh my God, this sounds like an 80s B movie. The whole the whole album sounds like this cheesy like Miami Vice Friday night TV 80s shit. <laughs> it was fucking terrible. <laughs> the one song, The Wild and the Young, was pretty good. I think they have one other really good song on it, and that was about it. But it literally did not age well. It sounds like an, you know, like if, if someone puts on one of those, you know, at, at two o'clock in the morning and they put on Showtime or or you know. Cinemax, and it's not because it's a it's a nudie movie, but you just put that music, you know, the the, the soundtrack that plays in that in those movies from the eighties. This is like like Quiet Riot wrote that damn soundtrack. <laughs> you know? uh, um, wow. sabotage, sabotage, fight for the rock or fight for the rock. Sepultura, their debut album came out in eighty six. Morbid Visions, Striper to Hell with the Devil, one band that you and I, we've talked about very briefly the Vinnie Vincent invasion with their first album in 86. So that's, uh, that's one I think we should talk about more sometime. Yeah, we should, because I think we should do an episode on 
the albums that members of Kiss released. That would be an interesting episode. That would be yeah. an interesting episode. Voivod came out with the album Roar. Um, Wasp, Inside the Electric Circus. Um, that's a really good album. I know uh, we're, we're heading into our big four, but we want to talk about something a little bit for you guys tonight. Uh, we, we mentioned a lot of episodes, a lot of bands. We, we meant, we didn't mention some on purpose. Um, so if you have a chance and an opportunity after you listen to this episode, if you want to listen to some of the older episodes, you'll notice that one thing that really stood out to me when I was going through this is we did a lot of head to heads on albums from this year. Coincidentally, even coincidentally. Yes. I mean, we didn't do it on purpose, but let's, let's bring it up here. Cinderella's debut album, night songs. We put it up head to head up against Tesla's mechanical resonance. Their debut album both came out in 1986. That's episode 119. If you want to catch that, that's back in December of 22. Um, we did an Iron Maiden head to head with Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Uh, that came out on episode 52 back in February of 21. We did King Diamond versus Merciful Fates, uh, Don't Break the Oath, and King Diamond's Fatal Portrait, which was his debut solo record. Um, that was episode 92, uh, March of 22. Um, a surprise episode that I know. Chris is gonna gonna think about uh, a little bit right here. Ozzy's "The Ultimate Sin" versus "Bark at the Moon," and we were very we were on opposing sides. And at the end of the night, we were uh, we may have been if you gotta listen to it on episode sixty nine. Listen to the opinions on that one. Ozzy "Ultimate Sin" versus the "Bark at the Moon." You'll see where we land on that afterward. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was it surprised to me. So there's and there's a few more. Episode 74, David Lee Roth, Edom and Smile versus Van Halen's 5150. So David Lee Roth goes solo. Van Halen gets Sammy Hagar. We put the first two albums head to head. Um, that was episode 74 that came out in October of 21. And one last album that I want to mention briefly before we go to the big four, TT Quick released a their debut album called Medal of Honor. The only significance to that, Mark Tornillo was the singer for that album. That's the, I think that's the only album that TT Quick put out. And his that career went downhill. And he, for whatever reason, he he remained relevant. He ended up becoming the singer for Accept in the early 2000s. Or 2010s, excuse me. I think it was 2011 he became the singer. So some pretty cool stuff. I mean, there's a lot of shit that happened in 1986. Let me tell you. Are you wait, you're going to tell me? No, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you. All right. So we're into our big four now. The big four, our big four. So what my favorite four albums of 1986 are. Your favorite four albums of 1986. Uh, I'm going to go first since you started off. All right. I've been, I've been talking like a madman here. So let me get over with so you can start talking. All right, my big four, we'll go through them real quick. Uh, number four for me, Cinderella, Night Songs. That album, front to back, is is absolutely amazing. It wasn't even an indicator of what's what was to come for Cinderella because they really expanded on the blues that they had used throughout this album, and they did it more on... Um, on uh, Long Cold Winter. Number three for me, Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. 
that album played on my radio all the time. Man, these albums, everything that we've mentioned tonight, I played at some point on my radio over and over and over and over again. Um, but Bon Jovi was on there. Um, number two for me, Rain and Blood from Slayer. Um, like I said, when when you talked about it earlier, Chris, it was I I played that song a lot, the album a lot. I played that album a lot. And I knew all those songs back to front. So it was uh, definitely one that played much more than Megadeth for whatever reason. <laughs> and number one was Master Puppets. We already mentioned that for me. So um, that's my big four metal albums of 1986. What do you got? Uh, so my number four is Force Majeure by Baby Tucku. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> fuck did you come up with that you get the full list of 1986 albums and i saw that one and I was just like, who the hell's that <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, <laughs> no for real <laughs> my number <laughs> my number four is uh slayers reign and blood uh i mean for all the reasons we spoke about earlier uh absolutely amazing album um if you haven't listened to it you're stupid um, <laughs> no no you're just uninformed <laughs> um, my number three is megadeth peace cells but who's buying um yeah again for all the reasons we said before we spoke about it in you know great detail um absolutely amazing album this was one that really got me into megadeth love it uh, my number two is iron maiden somewhere in time again like i said any given time it's it's my favorite uh, uh iron maiden album and then my number one is going to be first kill by tigers of pantic no it's Me uh, metallica's master of puppets um you know it's probably going to be one of the only times that Metallica's right there on the top of my list, but it's that good of an album. So if you disagree, let us know, but you're wrong. Bend the knee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we've talked enough for tonight. So that's our big four metal albums for 1986. That's the end of this episode of debating metal. Remember, you can listen to us just about every week on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to see us grow, don't forget to click like or subscribe and tell your friends about us so they can click like or subscribe and they can enjoy us too. And don't forget you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and our new X slash Twitter account. Or send us an email to debatingmetalgmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new show. And remember to tune in to the next episode when we'll talk about Baby Tuku. <laughs> baby baby <laughs> Tuku. Once I do some more research on who the hell that is, <laughs> and we'll spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. Baby Tuku. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>